This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I felt calm in the lead up to the game because I felt that the players with what they've been through over the last few years were were ready and um, we you're never 100% sure how they'll react in those difficult moments but we have talked about it and they stayed calm. Um, I didn't think we kept the ball well enough through Denmark's pressure from their front three and we're going to have to do that better on Sunday because Italy are very good at it so um, we, need, we need to find better solutions with that um, we managed to create good openings I thought the goalkeeper for them had a, a, a fantastic game, he's a top goalkeeper um, no, huge credit, these players have been immense from the, the first day we met up at Middlesbrough the whole group, the boys that didn't make the final cut, the group that have been here together, um, all of the staff, they deserve what's been a really special night. On the ball on BFM 89.9. England boss Gareth Southgate bringing calm to the country and to proceedings in general. He really is a picture of calm. It is down to the two teams. It's down to the final. In fact, it's all about finals today's show. It is our final Friday show of the season. And Ooh. I know, I know. But we'll be back soon. Uh, but and, and here to help me talk through the hour of wonderful football, we've got Craig Marias. Hello, Craig. Hello, mate. Yes, absolutely ecstatic that England have made the final, but a big game um, on Sunday. Yeah, massive, massive. Bob Holmes is also here trying to be as impartial as possible, Bob. <laughs> uh, trying to sound like Gareth Southgate. Um, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> uh, no, um, I mean, it's been fantastic uh, altogether. Fantastic tournament, and that's the main thing. Yeah. So I think the two best teams are, are in the final. Agree. Uh, we can argue about that later. But, All right. Uh, and uh, I, I speaking of arguments, uh, that's why we've got this next guy on. Des Corkill is here. Hello, Des. It is my solemn duty, ladies and gentlemen, to puncture the little England of the mentality that seems to be afflicting the world at the moment and also to pour sour grapes on what everyone seems to be the perfect European Championship. I am here to ruin your Christmas. <laughs> Christmas coming early Yay um, As I said Final Friday show of the season We've got another one on Monday To wrap up everything properly And then we'll, we'll be back on Friday The 13th of August For the brand new season So as usual You can tweet us Find us individually on Twitter Or tweet at BFM Radio uh, Also find us on social media It's BFM Football On Instagram And on Facebook we were treated to two sets of semi-finals that went into uh, 120 minutes. One went longer, um, but they were both really, really good games. Uh, Italy won, Spain won. Italy winning 4-2 on penalties. Um, let's start with Spain first. Well, I'll come to you, Craig. Now, Spain tried to tactically bamboozle Italy. Uh, they, they played without Morata. All the way through the tournament, Luis Enrique has been saying it's Morata plus another 10. And then he, <laughs> he was benched for the semi-final. But it worked to a certain extent because Spain enjoyed a lot of territory. Yeah, but it's what you expect from the Spanish side. Um, I, I think you know, Italy going into the game would have expected Spain to have majority of possession and, and pass the ball around. Um, but 
you know, the lack of having a quality number nine um, kind of shone throughout the tournament, if I'm honest, and, and even more so in this game. Um, yes, they didn't start with Morata. They played uh, Aritha Bar. Um, it's not really your, your out-and-out, you know, striker that you want. He's always going to come off the front line. Um, but then again, you know, even if they played Moreno, you'd get something similar to that. Um, there were a few surprises in that Spanish team. I mean, you know, Pau Torres not starting, Garcia starting ahead of him. So, so Enrique did kind of mix it up a little bit. But um, I thought I thought the Spanish were the better team on the night. I really thought they were good. But the, the problem is, is that they're good with the ball, but they don't do much else in the final third. Um, and, you know, that was the telling factor for me, uh, for Spain throughout the tournament. You know, I think they went into this uh, into this semi-final uh, with a team that's created the most chances. Um, but, you know, the lack of conversion has really harmed them. And yeah, fair play to Morata. You know, he came off the bench, he, he got a goal, but he's a pale shadow of himself. You know, goals are meant to bring confidence in players. Um, but Morata gets that goal, fantastic goal. Um, and, and then he kind of just stays on that same level. You know, his confidence doesn't get boosted. He doesn't look like a man who's inspired. I think, you know, a few minutes later after scoring that goal, he runs the ball out of play. Um, and then, you know, when he steps up for that penalty, you're thinking, no, surely not. Surely, he's, he, you know, he can't miss. Uh, and and it's, just a, it's just a tame effort. And I mean, I, I think Spain will come out of this semi-final, or come out of this tournament. And, they're thinking that, you know, yeah, we probably could have done a little bit better, but we exceeded expectations. I don't think anyone gave it a glimmer of hope yep. uh, to make the semifinals. Um, but there's a lot of talent in that team. And uh, special mention has to go to Pedri, who I thought was absolutely exceptional, not only in the semifinal, but throughout the tournament. I mean, for yeah. 17, 18 years old, yeah. to come out and do that, um, I thought, you know, there's, there's a real player there. Da- Danny Olmo in that midfield as well. I tell you what, on the Monday show... It's going to be very interesting. We're going to look at key players of, of some of the big sides. But um, the Italians, Bob, the Italians are, are old school, aren't they? You look at Cellini and Bonucci. In fact, when Cellini and, uh, and uh, Jordi Alba were at the coin toss for the penalty shootout, Italy won it there, didn't they? Well, yeah, a lot of people are making a big player out of that. But, I mean, they, um, it was the missed penalty. I mean, uh, Spain uh, really dominated the game. Yeah. And uh, that's quite an achievement against an Italian side that has been really sailing through the, um, the competition right from the kickoff, flying start, and they've maintained it. Um, so Spain bossed the game, and they did it without Thiago, which was, I thought, when you think about, you know, the way he keeps possession... And they had about 80% possession in the game, and he didn't even come on uh, until the end, virtually the end. And he's only played 60-odd minutes in the entire tournament. Um, so Spain really, uh, I mean, you could say Spain deserved to win that game. And it was just that, um, that miss by Morata um, that did it. And unfortunately, there was no time for them to recover. I mean, the Italians missed the first one. But they had time to recover. You can do that. And that's why 60% of teams going first win. That's a, a, that's a fact. That's been analyzed worldwide. Um, so the toss is a big thing. And that's why uh, FIFA are looking at different formats. They had that um, Abba, Kadabra type thing. I think they tried that somewhere. <laughs> but 
it, it might have been fairer, but it was more complicated. And fans could hardly follow. Even the players became confused. So that you can't have that, you see. So we're stuck with this. So Chiellini is, you know, yeah, he knows all the tricks in the book. And I think he did score a point there um, at the beginning. Um, some of the Spanish papers uh, criticize him, you know, for making a fool of Jordi Alba picked him up like a rag doll. I mean, he's seven inches taller for a start. <laughs> um, so he certainly made his presence felt there. Yes, he, he did score a point. But uh, it did come down to Morata's miss. And it was in the body language, wasn't it? Yeah. They, the old phrase, you know, te you telegraph, yeah. um, telegraph penalties. Well, I think we ought to uh, update the language a bit now. Telegraph, no one sends a tele, you know, telegraph anymore. It's uh, you know, he WhatsApped it. He emailed it, didn't he? <laughs> this is where I'm, this is the corner I'm going for, you know. I mean, it was so obvious he was going to miss. Poor fellow. But, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy and he, he, he'll, he'll recover, I think. Yeah. He's a rich man as well. There's a lot to like with this Spanish side. They will do well at next year's World Cup. <laughs> but it's the Italians who ploughed through to Sunday's final, Des Corkill, and, and the backroom staff. Every time you, all the viewers, all, all the football followers like, like us, every time we see Gianluca Vialli and Roberto Mancini together on Touchline, it just brings back memories and, and a lot more hair. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? That, that feel-good feeling, and, and that's been riding through this Italy side. Uh, for old fellas like us, yes. Uh, I think the word Bob was, was after was uh, a moratorium. Oh, oh. Very good. Very good. On a I, Friday I, evening <laughs> as well. <Woo. laughs> On the Maratta theme, just last week we were saying, oh, isn't it wonderful how he's shoved the, all the critics' um, criticisms down their throats. Wow, this is fabulous. This is justified. A week later, it's crap. And that's Maratta in a nutshell, isn't it? Well, you can't say oh, what you said last week. Oh, isn't it a vindication of the human spirit? Isn't it a wonderful, wonderful thing? And then the next week say he's crap. <laughs> that's, that's fundamentally uh, a football fan in a nutshell. Not Maratta in a nutshell, a football fan. Swings and roundabouts, swings and roundabouts. Win, good, goal, good, lose, bad, black and white. Binary, absolutely. So um, anyway, that's number one. As for Chiellini picking up Jordi Alba... He's not allowed to kick him in the game anymore. Defenders aren't allowed to touch players. So you may as well make some advantage of what's going on there. Any contact, in, even if there's no contact or minimal contact, will probably get you a penalty in the modern game of football. Therefore, you may as well beat the bugger up in the coin toss and get some kind of psychological advantage. So these are just a couple of the little things that have sneaked into this, this festival of football. It's become a non-contact sport. Yeah. You can't players. I yeah. like the way referees are being allowed to manage games. They're not throwing out yellow cards. Busquets deserved a yellow card by any stretch of the imagination for his little tug back early on in the semi-final against Italy. He got away with it. I like that management, but technically he should have got it. If we don't see yellow cards for that in the Premier League next year, I'm going to ask exactly why we're not seeing it, because referees are allowed to manage it. But that means referees are allowed to make decisions, but the one thing referees aren't allowed to do is allow any form of contact. The number of silly red cards for perfectly good fouls, uh, the, the, the England penalty, which we'll talk about, 
to non-contact sport at the moment. And I think that is to the detriment of the game. Yes, there's been some lovely fluid football. Italy have defended stubbornly. Bonucci and, um, Bonucci and Cellini, average age, 673. <laughs> With Donnarumma, really, really strong yeah. and powerful behind yeah. them. But also Verratti, tigerishly... Um, not tackling because you're not allowed to tackle, but get inserting his body in the right way here and there, intercepting. They, they become uh, very strong defensively and they hit very well on the break. A bit more defensive in the, um, in the knockout stages because they're up against better opposition. It was a, a smash and grab against Spain. Spain absolutely deserved this. But as you say, Italy got there because they are, the modern terminology, more streetwise defensively. More savvy, absolutely. And you, you need kind of bits of everything in modern football, don't you? We, we've seen that. All right, non-contact sport. There's hit the nail on the head there as we ease into the England-Denmark semi-final. Um, it, it's all about that was Sterling touched. I'm going to come to you first, Craig, and I know you're going to say there was contact. <laughs> but for me, this was similar to the Matthew Davis-Vietnam penalties. You remember that? <laughs> no, I think, yeah, yeah I, I do. I do, definitely do. Um, but, you know, just, just going on this, and I think Des, Des kind of mentioned it briefly uh, during his run. Um, the, the main factor here is that there is contact and um, it is minimal. I, I agree. I'm not doubting that. Is it enough? Is it enough to bring him down? Probably not. But if he stays on his feet, does he get a penalty anyway? No. I mean, I, I can't remember the last penalty that's been given for players standing on his feet and staying on his feet and being honest about it. Um, there's being contact. Honest. It's minimal, but there is contact. He's not got, he's not got the ball. Um, and, and I think if you look at the consistency throughout Euro 2020, um, you know, that's the case. Uh, I think I go back to, I think it was the France-Portugal game when Portugal had that penalty. And, you know, we were saying uh, there's barely any contact. There's contact, though. You know, it's minimal, but there's contact. Is it enough to bring him down? No, but it was given. So if, you, if you're talking along the lines of consistency, there it is, you know, and, and Des was harping on about it just now and saying that's what that's what uh, refs need to be, consistent. You know, if Busquets gets, uh, doesn't get that as a yellow card, he doesn't want to see that going. Fair enough. This is the consistency that Des has been talking about. It's a penalty. <laughs> uh, Bob Holmes. <laughs> The England performance as a whole, I, I know you, you and I have great admiration for the way Gareth Southgate conducts himself. And he's just brought a, a measure of calm to things. It, otherwise, it would just be full-on tabloid England, wouldn't it, Bob? Well, it, it is, isn't it? Um, <laughs> despite uh, Southgate's attempts, um, it's, it is full-on tabloid England. Um, it's bad, isn't it? It's embarrassing. <laughs> but um, the players seem to be responding to, to um, Southgate more than the hype, which is encouraging. Um, they're, they're in a bubble there. They go back to their training ground, St. George's Park, which is in the middle of nowhere um, each, each time. And they've been fortunate enough to play uh, six it will be six of their seven games at home. And you can't underestimate the advantage of that. Yeah. When you think of the other countries, I mentioned it last week, Switzerland in particular, uh, traveling something like 15,000 kilometers. And uh, Wales also traveled a lot. And 
Italy had the benefit of three home games because they were a host, inverted commas, nation staging uh, games in Rome. But after that, they've been traveling. So England really, really locked out. I mean, UEFA didn't intend it to be quite this bad, uh, this one-sided, because it's partly circumstances. The fact that England won the group, had England come second or third. And traveling is a lot more difficult now as well. Yeah, they would have been traveling, you know, but they they won the group and and they got an extra game because Dublin pulled out and Dublin's four games were distributed between four uh, other venues, London being one of them. So uh, that explains that a bit. And they're always going to have a semi-final and final at Wembley. Uh, But it's a fantastic advantage and England will be pilloried if they don't win it. Everybody will be saying, you you know, you've had all that's a home tournament, virtual home tournament. And if you can't win it, then you never will. So England will expect that if they don't win it. But having said that, I think they're winners already to get this far. I do think what they've achieved in transforming the image of the England football team, which, let's face it, for decades has not been great, even with the golden generation, or especially with the golden generation. Especially, yeah. The wags and, and all that, you know. What an image that portrayed, um, totally wrong. And in this time when the country is divided like never before over all sorts of issues, race being one of them, to have a multiracial team like this that is totally united, defying calls not to take the knee, they're carrying on taking the knee and all that, I think it's fantastic. And I think they've, they've shown the way and they might have even made a few people think again about their stance. So I, th- I think they are winners and, and they, they behave themselves on and off the field. And I think they've been an absolute credit. And Italy too. Italy, I think they've done their country proud. It's not quite the old style Italian team. They have played some attacking football. So I think it's, yeah, so I say they both deserve to be in the final. Okay, well, we'll preview the final properly. Uh, I know Des wants a word, but I'm sorry. We're going to the break, Des. Back right after this. Damn score! Brilliant! Lift off for Denmark! On the ball on BFM 89.9. I followed what the FA has done strategically and um, and especially how Gareth has led, led this um, this team for a number of years now, how he works in the... In the with the young players, how he gets involved and how he behaves himself in uh, with with the values he's, uh, he has and how he represents and communicates um, is outstanding. So, congratulations, Gareth. I think you do uh, you're doing a, a great job in a in a difficult um, in a difficult job. So, congratulations. On the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. Denmark boss Casper Human congratulating Gareth Southgate and England. We didn't get very much in on Denmark before the break. They have been a breath of fresh air, especially they've been fueled on emotion with all the, the Christian Eriksen drama, Des Corkill. They've done well to get this far. At one point, well, even in extra time, I thought, oh my goodness, it's, 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 a, it's a replay. It's, it's 1992 all over again. Uh, no, I never thought that. Uh, Hillman himself deserves a lot of credit for the way he's um, uh, r- represented Denmark. 
I think one of the great things of this tournament, Southgate deserves immense credit, England deserve credit, but the coaches of all eight quarterfinalists right the way down, they are in charge of their team. Yeah. We've got rid of player power. We've got organisation. We've got the man at the top who's in control, who's being able to set the agenda, who's being able to avoid, like Southgate has done, massive appeals. Sancho must play. Grealish must play. Southgate says, it's my team. Uh, we're doing OK. Denmark did exactly the same. I just need to say in the semi-finals, though, that Denmark were hampered by the fact that their squad depth wasn't as good as England's. Yeah. England have got a terrific squad. Yeah. And therein comes the stupidity of being allowed to change more than half of your team. It gives big clubs when it comes to the, to the football, the bigger nations, such a massive advantage. The difference in the substitutes England were able to bring on compared to those Denmark were able to come on was a massive chasm. And what was prior to that, a relatively close game, was absolutely changed by the fact England, because of the ridiculous rules that will not go away, Remember, they promised, no, no, this is just a temporary emergency measure. You wait and see. They're here to stay. So six substitutes allowed. England didn't use all six, but they could have done. But that was the difference, the substitutes. And all it's going to make, you take this, extrapolate outwards. The bigger clubs with the bigger squads will have more chances because they can literally change half a team. So coaches... Great job for you. Fabulous. Six substitutes, including extra time, five in normal. It's ridiculous. Well, I agree with your point, Des. But in this particular game, I thought Denmark made their substitutions too early. I agree, Bob. After, after they um, made them, they took some of their best players off. Yeah. Damsgaard, for one. Yeah. 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 And uh, they lost the initiative. They, they were bossing the game around the time they scored the goal, before and after they scored the goal. They were in charge. England were a bit ragged. But when the substitutes came on, as Des says, a, a lower caliber of player, this was quite early on in the piece. Before the hour, they had, they had changed about five guys Not before England had Not made one. And they um, they were weakened and, yeah. and they could hardly get the ball after that. And I think I think he did that too early. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Um, tell you what, nothing to do with the managers. I really like the fact that Tony Adams brought up uh, Martin Damsgaard's receding hairline. Martin Damsgaard's <laughs> twenty one years old. I thought that was a cracker. That was that was punditry <laughs> gem gold. <laughs> All right, look, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about the the England Italy final also coming up. We're going to talk about the Copa America. That's on Astro Live. More about that later. First, uh, very quickly, because <laughs> they were only there very quickly. Uh, JDT in the Asian Champions <laughs> League. Uh, Craig Marais, you watch most of the games. That the, the last game, the sixth group game they played was a nil-nil against Ratchaburi. So they leave with, what, four points, one draw, yeah. one win, four defeats. It's not good enough for Malaysia's finest football side. Yeah, I mean, I think even the Johor players and management will recognise that. You know, I think they expected to put up a better fight. I thought they started the campaign very well uh, against Nagoya. Um, really good performance there. Maybe a little bit unlucky um, as well. But as the com competition went on, and, he, and we talk about, you know, the squad that JDT have and and glow, glow about, you know, the, the, the depth that they have in, in terms of national players and players that can come in. I, I was very disappointed, you know, as 
as the competition progressed, you know, it, it, it seemed like, I mean, I understand the games are coming thick and fast, but this is when you, you know, you kind of use your squad. Um, and I thought they just got a little bit more leggy. And yes, I know like a lot of these boys are coming straight from the internationals into this. And it's not easy being away from, you know, your family for about two months. Um, you know, it, it all adds up. I, I understand that and I get that. But the expectations that JDT have set, um, you know, dominating local football, um, signing some fantastic foreign talent as well. I mean, Bergson is, is, is just top class, I, I, I feel. Um, and then you go, uh, Shane Lowry as well was signed uh, to, to boost the squad for this AFC uh, Champions League. And then, you know, you kind of go over to Thailand and, you know, I, I, I'm just a, a bit disappointed. I, I expected a little bit better, for a little bit more from them. Um, you know, even in the last game, you know, it was a nil-nil against Ratchaburi. Uh, Shafiq, had a, who I actually I thought was the, probably the best player yeah. throughout, uh, throughout the Champions League. What a chance he had and he must be kicking himself. Uh, you know, missing that. I mean, someone of his quality, I know he's getting on a bit, but, you know, you still expect him to to score. But it, it just didn't, you know, towards the end of it, you just thought, you know, the players are a little bit, you know, just there, you know, because there, there was no chance of them progressing. And I, I, I was disappointed overall uh, with the performance. I think in between those you know, certain matches, there were some really good performances, like that first game against Nagoya. But Overall, I think, you know, the JDT management and, and players, I think they'll look back on this and think, could we have done a little bit better? Probably. Um, and, you know, they go again. Yeah. De- Des Corkill, I mean, looking at, at how JDT and, and even the Singapore side, Tampanese, did, uh, you used the term chasm earlier on. There is with the Southeast Asian sides. I mean, we, we're not even... Talking about Middle Eastern sides yet, yeah, that's yeah. that's a whole different ball game altogether. But that's a big gap to close, isn't it? I, I disagree a little bit with um, Craig's analysis of Johor. I, I, I come away frustrated rather than disappointed because I think nine points were there for the taking. The Ratchaburi second game, a case in points. The Nagoya opening game, they lose that 1-0 to a, an iffy goal. It was a legitimate goal. But then they have the, their own equaliser right at the end um, uh, uh, taken off. Only Pohang were better than them. And even Pohang was three penalties, two of them 2020 yeah. kind of penalties. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so I, think, I think you kind of... Um, I, I, I wouldn't be as critical of Johor. I thought they were competitive. And they, to me, nine points would not have been out, uh, out, out of... Um, uh, would have been reasonable return for them. And if they'd have got something out of the Nagoya game, I think that might have just spurred them on a little bit. The players were knackered. Many of them have been coming off the Malaysia camp. You, you've then got that um, time in isolation uh, in the camp up, up, up in Thailand as well. Uh, so I, I'm frustrated with the performance, uh, with, the, with the end result. Uh, the performances were a little bit less aggressive than I wanted. But you look at Ramadan, you look at Arif, yeah. Um, yeah, even Adam Nor Aslim when he came in yeah. for Shane Lowry I'm not sure Shafiq about the Shane well. Lowry experiment Shafiq did well but my yeah. word how did he miss that he yeah. placed it he placed it there <laughs> but so, so frustration they're on a completely different level to Tampanese Tampanese lost 9-0 yeah. and 8-1 and 4-0 yeah, yeah. and were outplayed in Singapore you've got a rule in the league where you've got to play three under 23 players and I've been saying that this for a long time that will hurt you when you go and play better teams because you're not playing 100% the whole time then suddenly you come against, up against John Buck Motors <laughs> even John Buck Motors reserves and, <laughs> and they they were just annihilated yeah. uh, the, the 8-0 
that included two penalty misses. It could have been 10 nil. <laughs> Sorry, 10, 10 one. Oh, Lord. So, uh, so, so uh, the two are completely, completely different levels. And I think Johor, frustration rather than disappointment for me. And then um, if they go back and, and struggle in the, the Super League, I think that's a good sign for the Super League. Yeah. All right. Brilliant stuff. That's where we head off for uh, our second break. We'll be back talking Copa America right after this. Now it's Schick from range. Oh, it is a thrilling goal. It is one of the great Euro goals. On the ball on BFM 89.9. That was Ronaldo who got his head on the ball there. And there he is racing through the middle. Support from uh, Bruno Fernandes alongside him. It's into Diogo Jota. Good chance here for Portugal. Ronaldo! On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Bob Holmes, Craig Marias and Des Corkill. It's our final Friday show of the season. We've got another one on Monday uh, to look back on the weekend's big games. Uh, But then we're off for a month. We're back in August for the start of the brand new EPL season. Bob Holmes, Craig Marias, and Des Corkill joining me. You can tweet them individually. Find us all on Twitter or tweet at BFM Radio. Also follow BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Sunday morning then at 8 a.m. is Argentina against Brazil. It's the Copa America final at the Maracanã. Actually, Bob Holmes, yesterday, Thursday, uh, was the seven-year anniversary of a 7-1 drubbing for Brazil at the Maracanã. Uh, so it's worth a mention <laughs> because that's the kind of show we are. But um, it's, a, <laughs> it's a showpiece final, isn't it, Brazil-Argentina? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I think the big thing is, uh, can Messi finally get his hands on a major trophy uh, outside of club football? Um, I mean, it's uh, a glaring gap in his uh, his CV and his uh, his trophy room, isn't it? Uh, amazing set of circumstances have conspired against him, um, but he's got a chance here. But I think Brazil will go into it as favourites, um, not so much because it's at home, because the stadium will be empty. It's at the Maracanã, and to see that that stadium empty will be a rather sorry sight um, because that's probably one of the most atmospheric in the world. 100,000 um, capacity, right? Well, they, used, they got 200,000. 200, um, oh, my goodness. For the World Cup in, in 1950, which Brazil lost. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't do much standing, good, did it? it? <laughs> <laughs> I was standing, crawling, hanging, whatever. Shoulder um, room only. <laughs> So to see it to see it empty is going to be a bit of a shock to the system. Anyhow, um, Brazil, I think, will go into it as favourites. But Messi, um, you know, is dying to get his hands on the trophy. And I think he, on the evidence that we've seen so far, he's still producing the goods, even at 34. Uh, he may not last until uh, extra time. He may not last at his best. Um, I think that uh, Old Father Time is slowly catching up with him but the magic is still there mm. i mean he's the le- he was the leading scorer um up until the uh the final and i mean he was instrumental in argentina getting there because they haven't got it's not a vintage argentine side this 
but I think we have to mention the goalkeeper. Um, yeah. I think he's. I think he's vintage. Um, three penalty saves. Emmy Martinez. Yeah. Emmy Martinez. I think some of us thought at the time when Arsenal let him go that they might be letting the better of their two keepers leave for just twenty million pounds to Aston Villa, and what a what a steal he's been. I mean, yeah. he was great for Villa. And he's showing his class now for Argentina. Three penalty saves and good did, ones. Did, did you read? Did you read, Bob? He gave Yeri Mina some lip as well before he took his penalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really like that in a keeper. That's brilliant. They were all to the left. I think they must. Uh, the takers. They must have thought. Well, you know, he's gone to the left. He'll go to the right next time. <laughs> but he kept going to the left. He didn't infringe the law. He didn't come over his line. I mean, they were they were hit harder than Maratta hit his. Put it like that. Yeah. He, <laughs> so they were very they were very good saves, and uh, so he um, he's certainly been the star so far for for that. Um, Neymar against Messi. Yeah, I mean, this is worth getting up early for for some people on a on a Sunday morning. Yeah, this, um, it prom- it promises to be a very very entertaining game this um there could be a bit of niggle i think between argentina and brazil there always is the game might be a bit better for it um in this non-contact sport that we have now um they might allow a bit in this uh so i'm looking forward to it i'm, I'm pleased it doesn't clash with uh, with the euros or anything so eight eight o'clock on sunday morning yep this brazil side craig marias powered i say powered by Manchester United's Fred in midfield. <laughs> I mean, he's keeping Fabinho out of the squad. He's too. keeping Fabinho out of the side. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I, yeah, it, it definitely needs some explaining that. But it's worked. <laughs> I mean, the, the so-called experiment or whatever you want to call it has worked. And uh, Brazil, you know, I think they, they would have started this favourites, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, they've lived up to their billing. Uh, they've, they've been good without being fantastic. I think they started off really well, actually. Uh, but as the tournament's gone on, you know, they've edged games, and uh, especially against uh, Peru. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got it over the line, which is the main thing. And uh, we are fortunate enough to be seeing uh, the two best teams uh, in the tournament. Um, you know, I think, you know, prior to the start of the tournament, we, we'd all have said and all have agreed that we'd want to see a Brazilian-Argentina final. Uh, we're lucky the draw panned out that way, and they, they did meet earlier. Um, and 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 it's just it, it's just good, you know. I mean, it's a different Brazil side, you know. It's not. Uh, I mean, you compare the Brazil sides in the past, and we've seen some fantastic players come out of there. Uh, you look at this Brazil team, and you're looking for that superstar, and you've got Neymar there, and then you look in, and as you mentioned, you know, Fred's in that midfield. You got the Charleston starting every game, and you're just thinking, well, you know, where, where are those, you know? We were blessed with Rivaldo and Ronaldinho and Ronaldo. And, you know, it, it just doesn't have that star quality to it far Neymar, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I do think we're missing out. I think Argentina on paper, um, you know, when we're talking about star names, obviously have that quality about them. But they just never get the job done, do they? I mean, they've had, you know, some of these players around for, for the longest time, but just never done much with them. Um, with, with all the quality at their disposal. So uh, it'll be a very interesting final. Like you said, you know, there's no fans there, uh, but Brazil, Argentina is always going to have that edge to it. Um, so I think uh, you don't really need fans for this one, but it's it, it's definitely going to be worth waking up for. 
I, I, I'm wondering here, as you're saying all those nice things about this tie, I'm wondering here how Des Corkill can actually pour cold water on Brazil versus Argentina. <laughs> so, so over to you, Des. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in my saintly mode at the moment. Uh, both teams have got managers, coaches, who've been allowed to build a squad. Yeah. It's not about the players. Tite's been there since 2016. Do you know they've lost only twice in 34 matches since they went out to Belgium? Uh, Russia 2018. Um, so Tite is building a squad there. He's chosen Fred over Fabinho. He's chosen Edison over Alisson. From a Liverpool point of view, that's great. More rest for, our, for the Liverpool boys. But um, he's put together a 4-2-3-1, fairly functional kind of side who will be difficult to be. Argentina themselves, their coach has been there, Scaloni, since uh, 2018. 19 matches unbeaten. Messi isn't the star. He's got star quality, like when they were denied that penalty in the quarterfinal, given a free kick out to the box, Messi goes in and puts it top corner anyway. <laughs> so so they've got that star quality. But they also are playing a fairly functional 4-2-3-1. Not huge names. Lautaro Martinez is leading the way, but they're, they're scoring. Both went unbeaten through the groups. Both have had difficulties in, in the knockout stages. Argentina needed penalties. And there was a great video, I'm not sure if you've seen it, of Messi, uh, his reaction to each of those uh, penalties of the players who'd taken them. Not the Martinez story, but what Messi's reaction was and his his, his captaincy qualities. Which it's like I as if, it's like as if we, we, we never saw that before with Messi and Argentina. But Indeed, we, we, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of what, what, what I'm saying. So I think South American football is in a stage of calm, which is quite remarkable. <laughs> also, Brazil have put on this Copa America at literally three weeks' notice, yeah. and it's been seamless. There's what, there was one dubious goal in a Brazil game uh, over Colombia, I think, where the ball hit the referee and the referee carried play on and Firmino scored. But otherwise, it's been fairly uncontroversial. Um, the best teams on form have got to the final. So um, it, it should be a nice footballing occasion where we're talking about the football. We're not talking about the surrounding crap. But COVID, COVID. I, I've got to get my head around the European Championships, 60,000 at Wembley, zero in Brazil. Yes, different countries, but it's either a disease or it's not a disease. If it's a disease how can you have 60,000 at, at, at one place? I understand that, that they're, they're empty in Brazil. I understand that, but the, the rules, the inconsistency surrounding COVID and, and the, the bubbles and people getting COVID, people not getting COVID, we're still in a very, very false situation and uh, it's not equal around the world. All right. It's going to be a cracker. Anyway, um, Argentina, yes. Brazil, 8 a.m. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart, Astro Supersport. <laughs> I love you. Hey, Ross, you deserve some credit for that. Yeah, well done. Yes, <laughs> yes well done. I, I think you started that campaign that, that you know, finally got Inadvertently, them, uh, yeah. In a, no, the minute Argentina got in, that was it. I was kind of technically sending it to CK via Supersport. <laughs> <laughs> but brilliant stuff. All right, we're talking about Sunday's other big final right after this break. And the Mancini method... Some might say magic is starting to work again. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Back to Grealish again. England could be in here. This over Saka. Sterling, they are in here. Sterling at Wembley again. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we are. The final Friday show of the season. One more show on Monday to wrap up the season. Bob, Craig and Dez here to 
Look forward to Italy versus England. Monday, 3 a.m. kickoff. Bob Holmes, it's not since 1966. He's as good, he, Gareth Southgate, is as good as Sir Alf Ramsey. Hadn't heard that. <laughs> well, Alf, Alf won, and won the World Cup. Southgate yeah. hasn't, hasn't won that. He hasn't won this yet either. Um, so I wouldn't go quite that far. But uh, he's, he's done a magnificent job. I think it's, you could say he's the best manager since Sir Alf. Um, I don't think there are, there are many to dispute that, really, are there? No. Uh, it's been a pretty sorry uh, record. Bits of bad luck here and there, but um, generally a, a very uh, poor record. And um, this is really quite amazing that uh, England should make the final. And I think this, is, this really explains some of the hysteria. Um, it's disbelief, I think, in many quarters. The England football team uh, didn't have a great image um, for a long time. Um, the, even the, the non-footballing public were aware that they were a bit of a joke always seem to lose from uh, winning positions and miss penalties. That was the image. And this is very different. And they, they started painfully slowly. We were very critical of them right at the beginning, remember. We seem to have forgotten the boring stuff against the Czech Republic, Scotland and Croatia. It was like a glacier just melting very, very slowly, just becoming a little bit more imaginative, slightly less defensive. And it's, it's blown up now into a full-blooded team. And they went for it against uh, Denmark. Um, certainly, well, they had to when they went behind. And it makes you wonder what's going to happen here now with two managers who are traditionally rather cautious and cagey, but they have, you know, released the, the reins a little bit in this tournament, Mancini more than Southgate. So tactically, it's going to be fascinating to see how they line up. I fear it's going to be very cagey to begin with. I think that there'll be a tremendous amount of tension. I hope that England can handle it. The expectation will be unbelievable. That's one of my fears. And it is a young side after all. But they well, very well managed. And if anybody can steer them safely through this, I think it's Southgate. Uh, they, I think the team, there's only really a couple of places that you would argue about. Uh, it's the same old story, same question. Do you start with Jack Grealish or do you bring him on for impact later on? I think against Italy, you start with him. I think that the Italians, their midfield isn't great as the Spanish showed. They totally bossed it. And I think if Grealish gets the ball, you, you could see those uh, ancient central defenders <clears throat> exposed. And with the, either Sancho or Saka to run at them, and Sterling, of course, I think England have got a chance there. And I would go for that. Okay. Craig Marias. How do you think Gareth Southgate will, will, will set up? Will it be four at the back to match up with Italy? Yeah, I think he will. Um, I, I think he's going to keep the same team um, uh, you know, as, as 
you know, the team that played against Denmark, I think. Just don't sub Grealish on and off because that can't, that can't be <laughs> good mean, for a player, yeah? But if you look at Grealish, he didn't mind that one bit. I mean, No, he didn't. He did it for the team. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that just goes to show two things. I mean, one is how ruthless that Gareth Southgate can be um, and he's not afraid to make big decisions like that. Um, and, and two, you know, the team player that Jack Grealish is, not only Jack Grealish, but, you know, a lot of the players in that team, you know, it could have been anyone. And I don't think anyone would have kicked up a fuss about it. Um, it's just one of those things that had to be done. And, and it was a footballing decision. There's nothing to do with the way he played or anything like that. It was just a change of formation to, to see the game out. And um, the fact that, you know, Jack Grealish was you know, celebrating like, you know, like nothing had happened at the end of the, uh, of the match. Uh, just goes to show that the kind of harmony um, and, and the kind of spirit that, that Gareth Southgate has created uh, within that squad, which we haven't seen before um, in previous England squads. Um, I don't think he's going to change a lot tactically for this. I think it's going to be the same. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, with, with our midfield, with Rice, Phillips and Mount, they need to, to kind of get on the ball much and not allow Italy, uh, Jorginho in particular, to uh, Jorginho and Verratti, to kind of dominate the ball and, and and take control of that midfield. I think that that will be where the game is won in that. I think in terms of attacking wise, I think England with the pace that they have, um, you know, going forward, I think the, the fullbacks for Italy love to bomb forward. Um, and I think there will be spaces there for, for the likes of Sterling, for the likes of Saka to really exploit. Um, so it's, it's going to be a really good battle. You know, I think Kane would probably need some extra support. You know, he's going to have, yeah, you know, two exceptional defenders um, in Benucci and Kalani, um up against him. So he's going to be occupied. But if he drops deep, you know, do they follow? It's going to pose a lot of questions for them. Um, I, I think England can do this. I think it's a good matchup for England, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think if it was Spain that made the final, I'd be slightly worried. I think with the possession football, the way that they play. But I think the way the Italians play and the way they line up, I think it suits England a lot more. So, um, yeah, you know, I could be obviously a, a little bit biased here, but I'm, I'm fancying uh, England for this. I, I really do. Yeah, I, I, at this point, let, let, let me point out, there are decent, sensible England fans out there. Not everyone is tabloid and a flag shagger. Can I say that on radio? <laughs> I, I, I did anyway. <laughs> but, um, okay, well, both teams go into this more or less full strength. Uh, we, we've spoken at length already about England. Spinazzola is a big miss for, for Italy. He's out. He, he, he was having a heck of a tournament. I understand Verratti limped off in the last game, but he's probably going to be fine for, for the final. They're, they're the old heads, Des Corkill, they're the experienced side. The bookies make them 65%. They have a 65% chance of winning the final. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that I am surprised. Wow. That really does surprise me. Um, <laughs> because I think defensively, they're very, very strong. Uh, Verratti is, is an, an animal in the best sense of the word. And they, they can strike so... Uh, so superbly on the break as we score with a, so with a goal against Spain. I, I agree with Craig, Craig. I think Spain would be a far more difficult uh, opponent for, for England because Spain will probably come at England. England will have the majority of the ball, I would imagine, if they can get it. Um, 
but whether or not they'll be able to create the chances is another matter. I just need to, to pick on something Bob said. He said uh, England started slowly. This, this is a 10-year plan that England have been involved with. It started with um, Dan Ashworth and uh, a complete changing of the environment at St. George's. So it, it's not an accident. It hasn't just happened. And Gareth Southgate was one of a number of um, uh, coaches who were picked as elite level coaches who might come through the system. And don't forget, England have won under-17 World Cup and they, they've been competitive on, on the stages right the way through. So th this is a plan for to, to look at England as a club side. Hence, when Grealish is substituted on and off, he's treated like a club player, not like a superstar. And, and I think uh, that's where... The, the real recognition should go. This this didn't just happen. This isn't only about Gareth Southgate. It, it's it's about a system, and the ultimate would be for England to actually go on and and justify that system against uh, the most redoubtable of opponents. I, uh, I I think Spain would have been a more difficult opposition, but Italy, gosh, they they are going to be awkward, aren't they? Because Kalini is gnarly. He'll he'll hug you gently while strangling <laughs> you at the same time. Uh, you see how quickly they, they get up. Uh, I, I like the way Luke Shaw's been very aggressive yeah. in the tackle. Di Lorenzo does that all the time. Spinozola was great going forward, but I think Emerson's probably a better defender if he's if he's part of a, of a back four. So hasn't it's played a lot of football, Des. He hasn't played a lot of football, admittedly, but he has played, it's now, what, three in a row? Mm. Um, so his, his his match legs will, will be getting there. He came off in, in the last game. Di Lorenzo can play over on the left and they can bring on the yeah. Brazilian-born, which is an interesting one for Malaysian <laughs> fans. A couple of Brazilian-born players in the yeah. Italian side. Um, and England have got several um, uh, in, 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 uh, sons and sons of immigrants who are in their side. So Malaysia, there's a big debate about should we nationalise or citizenise players? That's uh, another debate all the time. But this, <laughs> this, to me, home advantage could be the crucial thing in this. All four semi-finalists, Bob mentioned two of them, Denmark played all their games in Copenhagen. Spain played all of their group games in, in, um, in Seville. All four semi-finalists have been able to play at home. Home advantage with the COVID allowed 60 or 70,000 fans uh, will make a big difference because I think as we saw in the semi-final, the fans can influence the referee on whether or not to go to, um, uh, to, to VAR. Yeah. And if there's any, any 60-40 uh, thing against England or 50-50 against England, the crowd could have a big say in this. And the crowd influencing the referee to go to VAR, VAR being scared to do the right thing or who knows what happens in the world of VAR. But I think home advantage could well um, be very, very important. So England just to edge this, but nil-nil penalties. It, it, do you see it going all the way as well, Bob Holmes? Yeah, I think I need to get a third sofa in then, don't I? Um, <laughs> and another I, four crates. Yeah, I watched the... Uh, <laughs> I watched the semi-final behind two, uh, as it was. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be nerve-wracking. Uh, we don't seem to do it any other way. Ukraine was an exception, wasn't it? Um, but uh, this is not going to be like that at all. Um, we've got the most streetwise opponents here. But I agree with the lads that Spain would have been more difficult. I was watching that game. And I was wondering, I was thinking, Spain probably going to win this. And if they, they should have. 
how are we how on earth are we ever going to get the ball <laughs> so i'm kind of i'm kind of glad we're not playing spain um but uh it's still going to be very tough yeah they're very street wise you can imagine them having a plan for sterling probably trying to get him uh red carded or something uh get the the likes of uh rice and phillips on on early yellows you know you can see that all working out in Mancini's mind, but um, they have their weaknesses too. And as I said, the um, combined ages of, uh, of Bonucci and Cialini is 70. And I think that uh, Sancho, uh, if he plays, or Saka, I think either, either one or the other is going to start, R- them running, either one running at... Yeah. Uh, those two guys and also Emerson because what I remember of him in his few performances for Chelsea he's a bit more of an attacking um, wing back isn't he Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's great defensively so again I think there's a bit of a weakness there you've got three guys there in defence who have their vulnerabilities I mean they're very very streetwise yes but they lack pace and I think that England has a lot of pace and trickery. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying these things. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows how much things have changed, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> 2021 people <laughs> all right uh, let, let's wrap up with predictions then i mean the italians quick you you can't count them up because in in chiesa in 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 senior they've got people who know where the goal is and and they score beautiful goals don't they uh they do uh, they, they've got quality uh, going forward there's no doubt about it I, I'm still a bit mixed about Immobile. Uh I'm not sure he's, he's fantastic. I think, you know, they're you know, Insigne and, and, and Chiesa or uh, Berardi, whichever starts, um, are, are going to be the key men for them. Um, but, you know, they, they England have defended so well. Um, I, I look at it and I think, you know, I've criticised Carl Walker, uh, but I thought in the semi-final his pace um, you know, sometimes got us out of a bit of trouble and, and it's much needed, you know, and, and you can see why he's picked. I mean, I don't think uh, he's picked ahead of, you know, the likes of Kieran Trippi and everything because he's he's necessarily better. But that pace in that back line is so important and he knows what he needs to do. He knows when he has to cover and uh, um, I think he's, he's going to have his hands full with Insignia. There's no doubt about it. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a small little player. He's tricky, Insignia. We saw he could come on into his right foot and, and really... Uh, have a shot at goal. Um, I, I just think this is, you know, as, as good as Italy are, and I'm not saying that they're a bad side. They're, they're a very, very good side. And and I'd go as far as saying they've been the best team in the tournament so far. But I just think it's a good matchup for England. I mean, I, I just, you know, Bob spoke about the vulnerabilities of, of the Italian defence. There's not too many, but there is. Um, mm. And I'm sure if you speak to an Italian fan, they're going to say the same thing about us. Uh, but I, I just feel with the, with the players that we have, we can really hurt them uh, if we need to. So um, I think the boys have said that, you know, they can see this going into extra time and, and you know, there's penalties. Um, for me, I think this can be done in 90 minutes. And I think England might need to do it in 90 minutes as well. Because I don't fancy England going up against Donnarumma uh, <laughs> in a penalty shoot. <laughs> Uh, all right, then. Final word from Des Corkill. Des, will it be a bank holiday Monday in England? Um, yeah, I think it will. I think home advantage is going to tell. 
I, I'll, I'll turn all the newspapers off and all the television off and I'll ignore it because if England do win, it's going to be insufferable. Worse than Man United winning anything. Um, it's amazing how many England fans... What, you mean like Liverpool the winning the league? Yeah, yeah, well, that was fully justifiable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's amazing, the, 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 the fandom. I just hope the commentary is down the middle. The commentary, though, has been so Anglo-centric. It has, has been doing my head in. I've had quite a few people saying that. But anyway, England to do it on penalties, nil-nil, heart attacks galore, and 60,000 people to spread COVID throughout Britain for the next six months. That's it. We're done. <laughs> We're done for Fridays for the season. So I'm going to thank the guys for their, their all their work. Thank you, Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody, and enjoy it. And enjoy your break. Thank you, Craig Marias. Thank you. You've got a month to recharge yourselves and we'll be back uh, in August for the Premier League season. Thanks, Des Corkill. And a big th congratulations to Ross Youssef for guiding us through this whole season <laughs> and for the past four or five seasons. Enjoy both finals. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.